Good morning again. Over the past six or seven years, 40 or so Grace Redeemer Church members have come to this pulpit and shared their grace story. Grace stories are these real-life, authentic glimpses into the lives of people who are sitting right next to you, who's uh, wrestling with faith and pain and emotional turmoil and relational dysfunction sound very much like ours. These stories help us as a church body to courageously push back against the facade that too easily gets put up in our lives that pretends that everything is just fine and that Christians are supposed to never struggle in our faith. The more we hear these stories, the more we realize these are our stories and that we struggle with very same, if not uh, simply similar pain and turmoil, trials and temptations in our lives. And that then helps us to admit how very broken we are. That helps us to honestly see that we live in a broken world. And these grace stories, specially named, help point us to the grace of God that is accessed by faith in the risen Savior, Jesus. One of the reasons Easter is a logical time for a grace story is that some stories especially highlight resurrection power. Some stories describe how God has transformed death in sin into life in Christ. And this morning, Jameis Mack is ready to share his grace story. Jameis was far from Christ, not because he was a bad person, but because his life of self-reliance led to aimless wandering and a purposeless existence. But God, we say here, those are gospel words, but dead ends in life are nothing to a God who raises the dead. Jameis. I grew up in a liberal Jewish-American family. We lived in a middle-class neighborhood in a good area in the Bronx. On the surface, we looked like a healthy, normal, nuclear family. Two parents, a daughter, and a son. When I was young and my dad still worked, he made good money as a recording engineer. He was an attractive man who always dressed well, and he looked respectable. My mother was a high school teacher in an all-girls school and dressed professionally for work every day. My sister, who is a year and a half older than me, and I were very close. I believe we were closer than most siblings. Like most younger brothers, I wanted to do everything she did. When she told our parents that she didn't want to go to shul, which is Yiddish for school or synagogue, they didn't force her and I did whatever she did. We were kids, but my parents left these decisions to us, so we grew up without religion. We were exposed to Judaism. My grandparents, my mother's parents, lived in the same building as us, and they kept a kosher home, 
lit the Sabbath candles, and went to temple every week. I attended all of my cousins' bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs, and we had seen Fiddler on the Roof, which I connected with. I identified as a Jew without really knowing God. My curiosity about God was satisfied with shallow explanations. What's the difference between Jews and Christians, I asked. Christians believe that the Messiah has come and Jews are still waiting. My first exposure to Christianity came to me through Jesus Christ Superstar. I loved Ian Gillen's powerful vocals as he sang as the character Jesus. I learned all of the lyrics and at some point knew them so well I could sing them a cappella, but they were just good stories to me. As I said before, my parents presented well on the surface. However, they were far from typical. They had an open marriage. My dad had his girlfriends and my mom had her boyfriends. In addition, my mother would occasionally have some of her students over socially for parties. Some were runaways that my mother took in. Without going into detail, I was exposed to many things at a young age that young children should not be exposed to. Dad had a breakdown and and stopped working when he was 40 years old. He stayed at home, depressed. Thankfully, one of the students that lived with us, her name was Edie, took care of me and my sister and got us out of the way of some of the crazier scenes. To this day, I'm grateful for her and call her my sister. I survived childhood. However, I had no direction. I remember my mother encouraging me with phrases like, you can do anything you can set your mind to, but I had no clue what to do with that. I was smart, but not a good student. I picked a state university far from home just to get away. My first year on my own in college was abysmal. Either stoned or drunk, most of the time, my first semester I got an A, a C, a D, and an F. The A was in music. I had just graduated from music and art high school, so it was easy for me. Also. I was fired from a work-study job on campus for getting caught stealing a telephone. I was a complete, miserable, idiot failure, and just turning 18 years old, this was a low in my life. It was also the first time I prayed in a Christian church. I went with a friend of mine, actually this girl I liked, asked me to go with her to church. Not that she was trying to convert me, she just didn't want to go alone. It was a Catholic church. I realized then that I believed in God. I always believed in God. I had read the poem, Footprints in the Sand, and remembered it. I felt God was holding me up. I wish I could say it was a magic wand, but it wasn't. I did well for a while, then slacked off, did better again, and so on. I let life pull me along. I survived college, got a few jobs in various fields, and leaned towards technology because it was the thing to do. I got married to a childhood friend that I didn't really respect. It was a disaster, and I got divorced. A few years later, when my mother died, I was devastated. I made some decisions in my life to start taking life seriously and to stop putting up with things I was just tolerating. That was when I divorced my wife, quit my job, and went back to school to get my master's degree. 
It was also at this time when I met Julia, who is now my wife. We started dating, and somewhere along the way, we started attending a small church on the Lower West Side. I wasn't interested in Christianity as a religion. I considered myself morally ethical and called myself a humanist. We stopped attending that church when the pastor preached against rock and roll. This was in the early 2000s. I was still trying to do things on my own and somewhat doing okay. Julia and I got married. We both had good jobs and we were happy. In 2007, my mother-in-law came to live with us. We took her to a Korean church while we started going to the affiliated English ministry. I liked the people there and started participating. I was on the media team, attended men's Bible study, and we attended small groups. This This church calls them growth groups. I also started reading the Bible. I would pray mostly for God to reveal his purpose to me, his purpose for me. However, when I listened to the sermon, I reinterpreted everything in my head so that Christianity was a subtopic of my so-called larger view as a humanist. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and he has the ability to occur to Jews in one way while occurring to Christians another way and to Hindus still another way and so on, I would carry on these internal conversations, and it was just exhausting. One day after a prayer meeting, the pastor's wife asked me if I wanted to be baptized. While thinking of a response, she then asked me what I thought the alternative was. It was like a one-two punch. All of a sudden, I felt incredibly sad and alone. I realized I was alone and was without God. Here I was, a white Jew with a Korean Christian wife, attending a Korean Christian church and praying for God to show me his plan. I still didn't realize then that he wanted me to come to Jesus. In 2008, working for Lehman Brothers, with its crash, I lost my job. After almost a year out of work, With my wife as a witness, I prayed to God that if I didn't get a job the next day, I would humble myself and apply for any job I could find. The next day, I was on my way to a bank to apply for a teleposition when I received a call with a job offer in my field. Thank God that God is an all-forgiving God for those that humble themselves. Since about that time, I thought more and more about accepting Jesus, but, still didn't, I, but I still identified myself as a Jew. Was I betraying all the Jews who died for their heritage? Was I betraying my family? I decided I was not betraying anyone. My parents are both deceased, but I think they would be happy for me and would support me however I chose to live my life. I felt so alone and tired. I wanted to accept Jesus as my Savior. I finally accepted Christ one night while speaking with Pastor Peter. We prayed. I prayed for forgiveness, and I will never forget how Peter coached me and said, pray boldly. Instead of praying for forgiveness, thank God for his forgiveness, for you've been saved. I still have much to learn about being a Christian and what God's plan is for me but I am happy to know he had been urging me to Christ all along. 
Brothers and sisters, I am honored to share with you my great story about my rebirth and further to be able to share it on this glorious day. Thank you. Lord, we marvel at what you have done. We marvel that your spirit enables Jameis to look back and see your work drawing him to yourself and bringing new life. We marvel, Lord, that today is the day of new life and pray that Jameis' story, his grace story that points to the grace of God in Christ Jesus would be multiplied, would overflow, would impact each person here this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I interact with uh, a few parts of James' story, I want to remind us why we're here this day, why we gather for worship every Sunday rather than another day. On that first Easter Sunday, probably April 5th in the year 33 A.D., some disciples of Jesus went to the tomb expecting to see a massive rock sealing, blocking the tomb along with Roman soldiers guarding it because some opponents of Jesus feared that His followers would come and steal His body and then claim some amazing miracle, claim that His words before He was crucified would actually come and become true. But the stone was rolled away and the Roman soldiers were nowhere to be found. Instead, there was an angel sitting there who said to these women, he is not here. He has risen just as he said. The women ran back to tell the apostles who didn't believe them because they still didn't understand. They had personally witnessed this horrific death, and death does not get reversed. It didn't make any sense. But this is what would make perfect sense in the weeks to come. A very alive Jesus appeared to more than 500 disciples, ate in their presence. They touched Him. They worshiped with Him. They worshiped Him. And had this been a conspiracy, any one of them would have cracked under the threat of death, but they didn't because it wasn't. This was a death-destroying, eternity-impacting, life-transforming reality. Jesus was very much alive, and He had defeated sin and death by rising from the grave. And many of those disciples would go to their violent deaths knowing, insisting that these were truest truths. I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 1. This was our word of encouragement that Ken read for us this morning. This was our text last Easter with a similar outline because even though every one of these grace stories is unique, the way God often applies resurrection power to our lives is so very similar. Listen carefully. These are God's words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, 
who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. These are God's words. Let's pray. We do praise You this day, Lord, for new birth into a living hope. And we pray that Jameis' story and the truths of resurrection, whether familiar or brand new, that You would weave them together, Lord, and raise the dead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm using this um, to highlight three effects of resurrection power. And the first is shadows into light. Jameis described a fairly normal family background, but he used this telling phrase, on the surface, we looked like, which means that under the surface, in the dark, where no one sees what's going on, There was deep dysfunction, including his parents' open marriage, seeing things a kid shouldn't see, watching his dad at the age of 40 have a breakdown. And the details are are usually very different, but in so many of our grace stories over the years, so many of our own people have shared this summary of family background. On the surface, we look like a healthy, normal family. And I wonder how many of you can relate to that. Did your parents, your grandparents, your, your church leaders contribute to the pretense that everything's okay? Nothing going on over here. Did they tell you or model through their behavior because you just didn't talk about this kind of stuff? Did they communicate that you should just ignore the pink elephant in the middle of the room, that you should put your head down and work hard and make for yourself a better day? Jameis' mom told him, you can do anything you set your mind to, and he shared with us, I had no clue what to do with that. And that kind of reaction makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because the the emotional insecurity and the relational dysfunction that surrounded him during his early years, that so powerfully crowds out any kind of daydream that this middle-class Jewish kid from the Bronx could have ever had. Parents, can I pause and share this urging, uh, urgent message with you? No amount of enrichment and opportunity and pile of toys can replace dinnertime conversation and regular family worship and a Christ-centered marriage and family environment. Nothing can replace those. Maybe some of you today would still say that your life is best described by on the surface, I look like. Your coworkers think you're a fairly normal person. Your mom thinks highly of you. 
She just wishes you would call a little bit more, and she considers you a a private person who keeps to him or herself. Your neighbors would never know if you were a serial killer. Isn't that always the case? Nobody knows. On the surface, people think you're fine. Underneath in the shadows, it's a whole different story. If you're not a follower of Christ, we are so glad you're here this morning. But the Bible says this about your life. You live in the kingdom of darkness, and you need to be brought into the kingdom of the Son, Jesus. Listen to Jesus who shouted to the crowds at Jerusalem, I am the light of the world. He who believes in me, whoever follows me, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Come to church. Open up a Bible. Invite Jesus to shine His light into your life. And if you are a follower of Christ, Paul the Apostle would remind you, you are all children of the day and children of the light. So live like it. Live in light of the reality that God declares to be the case about your life. A second effect of resurrection is religion into relationship. Peter says that new birth leads to an inheritance, verse 4. Those who typically inherit from someone who has passed away are uh, in relationship, legal relationship when it comes to a will, and spiritual relationship when it comes to God and His people. Now, Jameis told us that his family didn't really attend religious services. His grandparents exposed him to the traditional rituals, but his Jewish identity came more from fiddler on the roof than from high holy day observances. And yet, given his story, I would still say he was religious. If religion is a a system of worship, what Jameis considered to have ultimate worthship in his life was humanity. He was a good moral person. He wasn't active in worshiping a named deity, whatever the religion might be, but as a humanist, the term he used to describe himself, he saw humanity um, in its accomplishments and good deeds and evolutionary progress. He saw humanity as ultimate as the path to fulfillment and meaning and hopefully happiness. But like so many people from different backgrounds of culture and tradition and religion, Jameis went through all the motions and experienced frustration and emptiness. Resurrection transforms mere religion into relationship with the living God, not just as worshipers who keep their distance, but the Scripture tells us as sons and daughters of the heavenly Father who promises His children an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. When a pastor's wife asked Jameis about baptism, it prompted him to realize, I was alone and without God. We might say it prompted him to realize for the first time that he was a spiritual orphan, estranged from his Creator, 
that rock bottom was actually a sign that God was at work prompting Jameis to realize this hole in his soul. Fast forward to last April. I think Julia had prompted this lunch gathering. We got together in Fort Lee, the three of us. Julia was hoping for some help in pointing her husband to Christ. And it was a a lovely lunch conversation. Jameis had some great questions. I didn't have any answers that could really convince him otherwise, but it was a lovely conversation. And then in September, I don't even remember why we did this, but we met in my office on a weekday evening after work expressly to talk about things of Christ. And I remember Jameis being uncertain and yet telling me, I want to believe. He had sensed God's work on his heart, wooing him, drawing him. He simply needed someone to to encourage him to take that step and trust Christ by acknowledging the connection between his sin, which he already saw, and the payment of Christ on the cross at Calvary as his substitute, and then to claim the forgiveness that comes to someone who expresses that saving faith. God raised Jameis to new life, adopting him into his family. One last effect of resurrection power is pain into glory. We've said over the years, none of our great stories sounds anything like a fairy tale. That would be part of the facade, putting up this pretense that everything's fine and and they lived happily ever after. Well, that day will come in glory when Jesus returns at the end of history. But until then, every one of our stories describes brokenness and dysfunction and relational turmoil and emotional pain, and yet it's Easter. Today is a day of celebration and feasting, but the only reason Resurrection Day is glorious is because Easter reverses the pain and suffering of Good Friday. Something cosmically significant happened 2,000 years ago, something that addresses every human being's ultimate fear of death, and that something was that death was defeated through the death of Jesus, and through the resurrection of the same Jesus. He walked out of a tomb in which He had been laid very dead on Friday, now very much alive on Sunday. Death and darkness, pain and suffering, these are the realities of our lives. Jameis experienced them just like us, with a little bit different shape than some of us. Our stories all have unique elements, don't they? His involved a childhood with hidden chaos, his early adulthood foggy with drugs and alcohol, getting fired for stealing, making a big mistake with his first marriage, and then watching his dad drift into a deep depression after a breakdown and later losing his mother. But God, those are gospel words. But God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And verses 6 and 7 add this dose of reality to make sure that we don't ignore the 
the ugliness of life or pretend that it isn't as suffocating as it often is. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of troubles. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Whatever you've experienced in life, however angry you may be at God because life hasn't worked out the way you wanted it to, resurrection is the great reversal. One day, scars will be removed and pain will be wiped away along with the tears and death itself will be no more. Our three questions as we close this morning. Do you live in the darkness, in shame and in secrecy? Have you tasted the blandness and numbness of mere religion, as so many of us have? Is your life marked with pain and suffering, with so many things that are not the way they're supposed to be? If you'd say yes to any sense of those questions, then your life story is like Jameis' story and like so many of our stories. So how can you make your story a grace story? You simply need to place your faith in this Jesus who was God in the flesh, who lived a perfect life of obedience to the Father and therefore earned, merited all favor and all glory. You simply need to believe that He went to His unjust death in your place, paying the ultimate penalty for your sin in eternal death, and then to believe, because that was not the last, that He rose victorious on the third day. If you believe these things, then when Jesus returns at the very end of history, you will fully experience the glory of resurrection. You will be made new body and soul and live forever with Him in this glory. Grace Redeemer, rise, O church, and lift your voices. Christ has conquered death and hell. Sing as all the earth rejoices, resurrection anthems swell. Come and worship, come and worship. Worship Christ, the risen King. Let's pray. Lord, we rise as a church only because Jesus rose from the dead in victory. Otherwise, we would be lost in sin and death, stuck in the darkness of this world. But Christ, the Son, shines His light, the light of the world upon us, and we can come into the light. We can freely confess. We can live as Your children without shame and guilt because Jesus paid it all. We praise you, risen King. Amen.